Good morning and welcome to Echoes of Calvary. This is your host, Greg Sweeting. Thank you for opening your home to us this morning. I invite you to now open your hearts and worship with us as we share from the Word of God. Stay with us as we share comments and illustrations with a spiritual application, present special music to call us to worship, and in a few minutes, Pastor Alan Lee will come to share insights from Scripture and explain how to apply God's Word that we might grow to be complete in Christ. I sat there looking at the television screen, hardly believing what I was hearing from the box. There was a clip being broadcast over the news channel of a church bishop. He was visibly energized and charged. He was almost shouting. I suppose if asked, he might say he was preaching. Incidentally, he was the same bishop that gave the invocation at President Obama's inauguration. He was back in the news, front and center, when he said in this speech, he believed that all white people were going to hell. I believe I understood that he said, and he used to believe this, apparently. Then he said he modified his belief, but now he was back again to the belief that all white people were going to hell. What a thing for a man of the cloth to say. Even if he really believed it, he ought not to say it out loud, especially in a mixed crowd and televised, and in an election period when emotions already running high. What divisiveness, what insensitivity, no better way to drive a wedge down the racial divide, further separating one from the other. The next day he went on record saying, at the time that he had made that statement, he was only joking. He offered no apologies, though, just this pathetic and weak response, and only, I suspect, because he had been made the headlines throughout the USA. Now he felt he needed to backtrack a bit, help Mr. Obama out by not creating more animosity, new avenues for dissension. He blamed the proximity of the upcoming presidential election and blamed people who were trying to use what was he was now trying to call his joke to try and score a few political points because they don't like Mr. Obama. I would have found it difficult to believe had I not seen this video clip for myself. I have seen these kinds of smears and nastiness emanate from other political hopefuls, certainly from some of those who continually try to keep the embers of racial discord fanned and active. What disappointed me most, I think, is that this man purports to be a bishop, a shepherd of the church of the Lord Jesus. Can you imagine a scene when Jesus walked the earth when he would make such a devastating statement, then call it a joke, maintaining it was not intended to be taken seriously? This requires too much of a leap of faith. I think he was caught, was trying to backtrack. I wonder how the Lord up in heaven felt about his so-called representative making such an awful statement. Ponder that while we have a first song call. It came upon the midnight clear That glorious song of old From angels bending near the earth With news 
of joy foretold, peace on the earth, goodwill to men from heaven's all gracious King. The world in solemn still is to hear the angels sing. Still through the cloven skies they come with peaceful wings unfurled and still their heavenly For all the weary world above its sad and lonely place, they bend on hovering and ever o'er its babble sounds the bliss. Angels sing. For lo, the days are hasting on. Thy prophets long foretold when with the ever serving years. Comes round the age of gold. When peace shall over all the earth its ancient splendor free. And Perhaps I'm taking things too literally. No shades of grey allowed here. And tempers and emotions do always run high during elections. But I return again to the higher expectation that I had placed on the shoulders of a bishop. More is expected by me of such a person, in my humble opinion, that is. You must agree with that. I do not believe that I have raised the bar of expectation too high in such a case. The Lord has left the building of the kingdom to those of us who believe and who are his disciples, the blood-bought followers of Jesus Christ, we who are his ambassadors and we who speak in his stead, trying to convince all who listen of the validity of the gospel and the soon return of Jesus for his church. And that applies to every living individual on earth, regardless of skin color. In Revelation, we read several times of the multitudes worshiping the Lamb. Those we are told are from every possible shade of skin color and language, from every nation and every people, regardless of nationality or ethnic origin. I think it was a terrible thing for this man to say that white people would go to hell. Some will, 
but so will some of every skin color, all who refuse to accept the Lord Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. It has nothing to do with skin pigment. There, there are realities that we cannot avoid. Hell is real and horrific. Heaven is also real and incredibly wonderful. The choice is ours to make on a personal level, depending on our relationship with Jesus, God's Son. It has nothing at all to do with our race. It is far too dangerous to risk misleading people to a destiny without God because of what we say, even if it was meant as a joke. Frankly, I think hell is nothing to joke about. And now, with his message for today, here is our pastor, Alan Lee. Good morning and greetings once again in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Christians are in a unique and privileged position of being able to see behind the scene of every world event. We, as believers in the Word of God, can know the why when others can only know the what of things that happen around us. We can have God's perspective on these events and not tied only to time and sight. For the most part, however, we as Christians, I believe, fail to make use of our truly God-given spiritual rights and privileges. We are still prone to limit our thinking and concepts to the standards of unredeemed mankind, and as a result, we focus on the temporal rather than the eternal, the physical rather than the spiritual, the limited and narrow rather than the unlimited and cosmic. I believe that this is true of our usual understanding of the purpose of Christmas, which is Christ coming to earth as a man. Not only have we allowed the world to limit us to the temporal, physical, cultural, and even religious aspects of his coming through the emphasis upon the commercial, entertainment, and revelry aspects of this event, but we have also allowed ourselves as Christians to make Christmas more man-centered than even God or Christ-centered as it should be. It is seen, that is, Christmas, as being primarily for the good of man rather than for the glory of God. I believe that this view is both a distortion and a desecration of the true purpose for the coming of Christ, as revealed in the whole Word of God. I also believe that a proper understanding of that purpose could transform our attitude and actions in the celebration of Christmas. To help to bring this about, I would like to present an overview of what I consider to be God's cosmic, all-embracing purpose for the world, and how Christmas, that is, Christ coming into the world, fits into this total, overall, cosmic plan. And my proposition is a radical one. We usually say, let's put Christ back into Christmas. But today, I want to propose that in order to understand the true meaning of Christmas, we must say, let's put Satan into Christmas, if we are going to understand what I call the cosmic reason for the coming of Christ. Let me begin by asking a question. What makes God, God? In other words, what is the essence of Godness? Most, if not all theologians would agree that the answer to this question is that God must be absolutely absolute, totally sovereign. His will must be adhered to by all of his creatures. God cannot be God unless his will is supreme over all. He must be sovereign. He also must be worshipped because he is deemed worthy to be worshipped. He must be worshipped because of who he is, not simply because of what he does for human beings. However, this is not the case as far as many people are concerned. 
In fact, as far as reality, even in the spiritual world is concerned, right now God's will is not the only will that is vying for acceptance and submission. He is not the only one being worshipped or deemed worthy to be worshipped. This was not the case prior to the creation of man. He, that is God, was worshipped as God over all by his angelic creation. But then something happened. The godness of God was challenged, not by man, but by an angel. The amazing story is outlined by God through his prophet in Ezekiel 28, where God addresses Lucifer through the historical person of the king of Tyre. Listen to what God says, beginning at verse 12. Son of man, take up a lament concerning the king of Tyre and say to him, This is what the sovereign Lord says. You were the model of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. Friends, that was Lucifer's state before he fell. He was the model of perfection. He was full of wisdom. Not all wise, but full of wisdom. He was perfect in beauty. God then describes Lucifer's abode, the place where he stayed or lived. Verse 13, You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone adorned you, ruby, topaz, emerald, chrysolite, onyx, and jasper, sapphire, turquoise, and beryl. Your settings and mountains were made of gold. On the day you were created, they were prepared. Now this describes the garden of Eden before the fall. It was Satan's domain. It was Satan's home. It was so beautiful, it is described in terms of precious stones of all kinds. It appears that Lucifer was specifically created by God to be a musical being. The reason why is stated in the next verse, where God describes Lucifer's position and role. Verse 14 says, You were anointed as a guardian cherub, for so I ordained you. You were on the holy mount of God, and you walked among the fiery stones. Lucifer appears to have been in charge of directing the worship of God. He was the protector of God's holiness. In fact, he was closer to God than any of the other angelic beings. Friends, he had an awesome responsibility, a privileged one, but is an equally awesome privilege nonetheless. That's why the next verse is such a surprise, because now God describes the origin of sin in verse 15. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created till wickedness was found in you. Notice, sin began in Lucifer. Isaiah explains this in Isaiah 14, verses 13 and 14, where God, also speaking concerning Lucifer's fall, says, You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of assembly, on the utmost heights of the sacred mountain. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the Most High. Friends, the result of these five I wills by Lucifer introduced a will against the will of God. In other words, God's sovereignty was being questioned for the first time. God's godness was being challenged. The reason for Lucifer's sin is given in the first part of verse 16. It says, Through your widespread trade, you were filled with violence, and you sinned. In other words, it was the selfish use of God-given abilities given to Lucifer 
that causes downfall. Satan actually came to believe that he himself was responsible for his perfection. He became proud of the privileges God had given him. This is clearly stated in verse 17, where the text says, Your heart became proud, and on account of your beauty, and you corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor. Let me read that again. This is the core beginning for sin. Your heart became proud on account of your beauty, and you corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor. God's response to Lucifer's sin is stated in verse 16, and I quote, So I drove you in disgrace from the mount of God. I expelled you, O guardian cherub, from among the fiery stones. I threw you to the earth. I made a spectacle of you before kings. By your many sins and dishonest trade, you have desecrated your sanctuaries. So I made a fire come out from you, and it consumed you. Notice it's fire coming from within Satan himself. I made a fire come out from you, and it consumed you. And I reduced you to ashes on the ground in the sight of all who are watching. All the nations who knew you are appalled at you. You have come to a horrible end and will be no more. In other words, God took away Lucifer's position and privileges and blasted his domain in judgment. God then created earth as a vast arena in which to demonstrate that his creatures can worship him, not because of what he gives or does for them, but because of who he is, because he is worthy, because he is sovereign. This, my friends, is where Genesis 1 picks up the story. Adam was God's first champion, as it were, to go out to do battle against this angel who wanted to be like the Most High God. But Genesis tells us that Satan won the first round of this cosmic battle in Eden when he seduced Adam and Eve to rebel against their Creator God, their Sovereign God. And so the sides have been drawn ever since. The entire population of the world is therefore now engage in a cosmic struggle between allegiance to one of two wills, the will of God or the will of Satan. The victor will be recognized as God over all, sovereign over all. The story of Job is a classic example of this spiritual warfare and shows that God also wins in this struggle through those who are willing to serve and worship him, not because of what he gives them, but because of who he is. Job's classic statement of dedication stands out as a testimony to this truth. He said, Though he slay me, still I will trust him. My friends, that is the kind of people God is looking for in the world today. However, such champions as Job has been few and far between. Overall, mankind has fallen short of God's standards to uphold his glory. And so he chose another champion. And my friends, this is what Christmas is all about. God sending his champion into the world. The emergence of God's champion is to do battle against his fallen arch enemy, Lucifer, now also called the devil, Satan, the god of this world, the prince of the power of the air, the evil one, the accuser of the brethren, Beelzebub, and many other such names. God sent his son, therefore, not only to redeem a fallen mankind, but also, and perhaps most importantly, to destroy the works of the devil 
and to put an end to his rebellion by living in complete obedience to the will of the Father. Jesus emphasized this truth again and again in scriptures. For instance, in Hebrews 10.7, he says, I come to do your will, O God. In Matthew 6.10, he says, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is now done in heaven. John 17.4, he says, I have glorified you on earth by accomplishing the work you gave me to do. Jesus came in utmost obedience to the word and will of God. Listen now to the words of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 20 to 28, that describes the goal of all history. This is where everything is moving toward. Verse 22, in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive, but each in his own turn. Christ, the firstfruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him, then the end will come. When he hands, notice carefully now, when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father, after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power, for he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death, for he has put everything under his feet. Now, when it says everything he has put under him, it is clear that this does not include God himself, who put everything under Christ. Now notice this word, when he has done this, then the Son himself will also be made subject to him who puts everything under him, notice the phrase now, so that God may be all in all. Friends, this is the goal of all history, that God be all in all once again. That is, that he be God absolute, without challenge from man or angel. Listen carefully, friends. Christmas is God's giant step toward that end. Christmas, therefore, is not primarily, I say, for man's salvation, but primarily for God's glory by the reestablishment of his unchallenged godness, absolute sovereignty over all creation on earth and in the heavens. This is the cosmic view, the divine perspective for the coming of Jesus Christ to validate the worthiness of God to be worshipped as God. Christmas, therefore, friends, is God-centered, not man-centered. As Christians, those who represent God's champion on earth, we must observe it as such. You may ask, how can we do this? How can we do this in a practical way? Let me close with three recommendations. First, you can do this, celebrate Christmas in the way God wants us to, by practical and evident submission to the Lordship of Christ as God's sovereign representative, not only in the world, but in your life. This is perhaps the greatest message we can convey to our children at Christmas time. Not only the fact that Christ came to die for us, but that he died for us so that we could commit ourselves to his will, the will of God, and to show that he is sovereign over our lives. Secondly, you can observe Christmas by not focusing only on what Christ did for you, but also on what he wants to do in and through you to break the hold of Satan over the will of man, beginning in your own life. And finally, as you celebrate Christmas this year, and you consider the gifts that you are going to not only give, but also to receive, and the activities that you are going to be engaged in, ask yourself this question, is God's will being done in me when I give this gift, when I receive this gift, when I buy this gift, when I enjoy this party, when I go to this place, is God's will being done in me? 
Am I showing that I am fully submissive to his will in my life? Friends, I say again, this is the ultimate cosmic purpose for the coming of Jesus Christ. Will you fulfill that purpose on your part this Christmas by being absolutely submissive to his will as you celebrate it this year? I trust that you will be. As always, this is Pastor Lee saying, Sila, think and act on these things. You have been listening to Echoes of Calvary, a radio ministry of Calvary Bible Church in Nassau, Bahamas. Our morning worship service begins this morning at 11 o'clock in the sanctuary located on Collins Avenue. We extend an invitation to you to join us on these occasions. If you would like to contact the church or Pastor Lee, address your letters to Echoes of Calvary, Post Office Box N1684, Nassau, Bahamas. And so we come to an end of this broadcast. I invite you to think about the message this morning. Consider the one who is our Savior and Lord. Grow to be complete in Him. And remember, as echoes from Calvary stir in your heart, keep listening for that shout, Maranatha, the Lord is coming soon. There to stay. Hold the fort a little longer. In your struggle over sin. The great command is promised, he will surely come again. I am listening every listening moment for the mighty trumpet sound. Happen in a moment, Jesus Christ could come again. I am listening every listening moment for the mighty trumpet sound. Christ could come again.